You're listening to The Building Code. I'm Tom Houghton. I'm Paul. <laughs> just, still just Paul. Yeah. I thought you said you're going to go with PW this time. Well, I mean, we're 25 episodes in, so it's like everybody knows. We're, we're greater. This is our 33rd episode, actually. We're friends. Yeah. And by me, the, the listeners and I. You, you guys are friends. I'll start going to PW when I'm known to around here. We've we've digressed so much that we've lost our intro music at this point. So let's oh, just yeah, dive, right. let's just dive in. <laughs> I didn't even notice that to the episode uh, today. Joining us on the Building Code, we have Maggie Bates, a passive home consultant. She's a co-owner at A1 Builders and Adaptations Design Studio, based in East Bellingham, Washington. Welcome to the Building Code, Maggie. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Welcome, Maggie. A little off-brand for me, uh, my honeymoon was in Seattle. Isn't that oh, interesting? That's very interesting. Would you have guessed that? No, that's very off-brand for you. Yeah. Yeah. I would have gone somewhere like sunny and bougie. But marriage does that, right? That's it right. It just extends your brand. That's right. Yeah. We're going back. Going to go see a show. There you go. I'll tell you what show it is in the, in the show notes. In the show notes. Show notes weird. plug number one of the episode right there. Enough about you, Tom. Uh, Maggie, <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are in the, the Northwest. So it, just for everybody who doesn't know, are, are you like outside suburbs of Seattle or where, where are you guys looking? No, we're, we're just, um, we're the northernmost deep water port. Uh, we're just south of Vancouver, Canada by, you know, it's about an hour drive. It's quicker to go to Vancouver than it is Seattle. It's about an hour drive north to see to Vancouver and two hours south to Seattle by the I-5 corridor. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. Yeah. It is. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I wish we could designate ourselves off of a port, but we're landlocked. We have no water yeah. around us. So yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the geography lesson from Tom. Thanks. You're welcome. That's good. Yes, we are landlocked. Uh, Maggie, you actually are familiar with Omaha, Nebraska. You were here recently. Um, I was. Yep. I went to Builder Trend University, which was awesome. Had a great time. You hear that? You hear that, sports fans? Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. Hey. So if you're listening, please come. Go ahead. We're still spending our Starbucks gift card for the best photograph hey that's right we have a we so we use an app for our builder trend university and that kind of helps everyone who's attending stay on top of things and one of those things inside the app is a little contest we do uh for a photo contest during the conference and if you take a whole bunch of photos or great photos you can win a gift card this so is news to me so are you saying you, that, are you saying you guys won we did because we we were walking through the airport on the way to the university and um we saw these t-shirts that said, be good to people. So we all bought a be good to people t-shirt and we all wore them on the same day. We we're all That's cool. Awesome. <laughs> and we took a selfie and, and uh, we won. We'll put a picture of the shirts. If you can send that to us, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Let's dive in though and talk. Let's get to know you, Maggie, and the company you work for, the company you co-own. That's one of the things we want to talk about today is how your ownership structure is different. So can you give us a little background to yourself and the company and kind of maybe dive into that ownership structure that you have there? Yes. Um, well, I'm the design manager. We're a design build company. Um, we've been around for many, many years. Prior to us being a worker-owned cooperative, it was a partnership by two folks um, who wanted to retire, Cindy Landreth and Rick Dubrow, and um, they decided to turn it into a worker-owned cooperative. It took us several years to actually get there. I've been working for the company, gosh, I think I'm around 13 years or so. Um, and I would say it took us a few years to get the worker-owned cooperative uh, structure in place. Um, so it went from what's called a sub 
a sub S corporation to a sub T corporation legally. That's that's the designation. Um, and it means that um, you can join our company as an employee and after a few years you can buy in and become an owner if you're invited. Wow. And yeah. So right now we have four owners in the company. Um, we have six people who are going to be eligible. Either they're eligible right now or they're eligible in about a year. And they've got to go through uh, some training and then um, make a small donation. Yeah. <laughs> it's their own money that they get to keep, but it goes into our capital. And um, uh, and then they, be, you know, they go through the training and they become members. That's awesome. I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's got questions. I've got questions. Here okay. we go. Okay, so there, there's obviously tangible and, and un, intangible intangible um, qualifications to become an owner. Yeah. Right. Like, so you have to be there x amount of days and or years. Yeah. So, what if you could tell us are some of the things that are intangible ones that you that would disqualify you from becoming an owner? You know, you have to want to become an owner. Right. Um, so that's like that's one of the the big things. Um, part of the reason that we have the three years is um, we want, first of all, people to be good at their jobs. And you really, it takes a couple years, it takes, you know, people a year to learn their jobs. And even if they're an experienced person, they have to take their experience and adapt it to our little world. Sure. <laughs> and so that takes time. Then, you know, they get through that phase and um, then, you know, it's more like, are they part of the family? Like, <laughs> so to speak, do they get along with everybody? Is everything working out? You know, and then is, is everything working out in their, in their home lives where they're, they're not going to be moving in two years or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. Um, sure, whatever they have to have, you know, they have to, everything has to align. All the stars have to line up for them. <laughs> there you go. That makes sense. Yeah. That's Just, a really cool setup. It is. It's, I mean, I think as, you know, as, as business owners, as anybody who's running a business, you want to make sure that your employees are kind of putting forth the best effort. And I think a yeah. great way to do that is you can make them owners or just teach them to think like an owner. Of course, you know, that's wow. important. Um, but so uh, tell us how this has impacted your business because this is a pretty radical shift for you guys. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you just said is that you have to teach them to think like an owner. And the reality is, is once they have decided that they are going to be an owner, that they want to be invited, you see a personality, you see a shift in their personality, in their, in the way that they conduct themselves, in the way that they communicate, in the way that they basically I, I attack their work. Um, it was noticed in me by the previous owners. And I remember um, one of the owners mentioning that to me. She's like, you're, you're thinking like an owner. It's, she goes, it's kind of interesting how that happened. And now that we have several people who are going to be starting all the training, I have started to notice the difference in their personality. They just volunteer quicker. They, um, they are looking for solutions always, you know. They are not, uh, they're not in the parking lot committee complaining, <laughs> you know. <laughs> There's, there's like, it's really positive. Having ownership is a position. It gives a person personal power, a personal stake in, in their everyday lives in a new way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. Um, I think a lot of, especially in this industry, obviously it's, it's a lot of, um, small businesses, 
It's a lot of family owned. And so for a lot of um, owners, they're looking for that exit strategy. Always, yeah. always. And if you don't have a son or a daughter that you think you're going to leave it to, um, then you think you're going to have to do this huge, like to an employee, come up with this big lump of money that my business is mm -hmm. worth and I'm just going to give it like, I'm going right. to sell it to you. This is a, this is a really unique angle at it, which I think solves a big problem for a lot of business owners, which is when I'm done working my tail off for 50 years, what the heck, how am I going to pass this on? Yeah. 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 Well, and if you compare it to the chances of actually selling the business on the market for right. for what you want, <laughs> it's a much better option. So you really have to hire wisely well in advance of doing that, just doing that shift. Yeah, that's a great point. So as a business owner, you better be looking two, four, six years ahead at who you're hiring. Right. Uh, and you might not go for the person who's got the best skill set when you hire. You might go for somebody who you can mold into the skills a, a different part right you want good people who have good management skills who have good communication skills that you can sort of teach the skill to right yeah yeah you, yeah you really kind of want you kind of want to look for that like-minded yeah you know sure. you know we're a pretty sustainable company we're um pretty socially conscious um you know we're we're I really feel like we're a really good guy company, good good guy, good gal company, and sure. and um, we call it coopetition because there's another worker-owned cooperative in Bellingham, another build design builder, and um, you know they're they're friends of ours, and uh, we also there's a couple other builders who are right around our level of clientele and dollar amounts. And so uh, we actually party with them, you know, it's like, it's an attitude of cooperation that goes beyond our beyond the walls of our company. Yeah, you, you see a lot of that, you know, I've said this before in one of our podcasts, but 1015 years ago, it was such a uh, competitive environment within within a market. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to tell anybody my secrets. I don't want to share subs. And it was right. like, you know, it was it was me against everybody else. And I don't know if it's because of social media, but I know it, it's playing a part in it that there's much more of a collaborative attitude. Um, yes. Amongst mm -hmm. like minded companies who are going after the same clientele, which I think is yeah. great for the industry. Yeah. Yeah. There's I, enough out there. I think it's great. And I think part of that thought process behind it is we can do more together than we can separate you know houses in in our in our across across our culture if you think about how energy is used people think oh it's you know it's your car it's what you're driving no it's what you're living in that's that's, oh, that's good that's actually a really good way to look at it i know tom is all about that yeah he's got solar panels on his mind um <laughs> But the, a good lead in Maggie. So why don't you explain? Um, we do this with everybody. Like, so what is your business? And and what I'll, I'll I'll tee you up. How many employees? What type of work do you do? What's your price point? And I, I think that you have something very unique that you had just alluded to in in sort of your passive way that you guys built. Sure. Um, so we're a worker owned cooperative. We are a design build company. We have right now. Uh, I think we've got. We hover around 17 employees, so it can drop as low as 16 and go up as high as 22 sometimes. But I'd say we hover in the high teens. And um, we historically have done some new home building, not a lot, um, mostly remodels, additions, 
um, renovations of old houses. We're moving into a mix of remodeling and new home construction. We are, with the new home construction, we're really, really focusing on high performance, which includes passive house. Um, But it's not limited to passive house. Um, High performance has a broader definition. And so I would say, you know, our average, our average job is a couple hundred thousand dollars, actually, um, because someone is adding, you know, a small addition or they're going to redo the whole inside of the main floor. Um, So our our jobs really range from, you know, 45,000 all the way up to 500,000. That's historically been the way it's it's gone. Um, The new houses, depending on the size, will probably be, you know, a little more than that sometimes depends on the client. Every project is different. And for people who don't know, I mean, obviously I do, but like for somebody like Tom, uh, what would be like a, what would, what, <laughs> what's the definition of a, of a passive home? From the passive, uh, I'm certified with the Passive House Institute of the United States, which is Sounds a different official. Or- Yeah, it is. It's very official. Um, It's a different organization than the Passive passive House uh, out of Germany. Um, But all of the Passive House, really, if you look in the history of it, had its roots in the United States, which is super awesome. Way back in like the 70s, I think. But the way that Fias defines it is um, a passive building compromises a set of design principles used to attain a quantifiable and rigorous level of energy efficiency within a specific quantifiable comfort level. Optimize your gains and losses based on climate summarizes the approach. So what that means um, when I in the in my climate is that I'm really going to be focused on energy efficiency, um, air tightness in goes hand in hand with energy efficiency. I am going to focus on comfort and durability of the the products that I'm using to build the structure, and it's going to be very climate and site specific, so that we use the sun to its best advantage. Um, among other things. So, so in summary, and this is something I didn't know. I mean, I, you, you could probably kind of guess what passive house meant, right? Sure. Or, or high performance home, but this is interesting. So beyond just trying to be efficient, right. With, with the material you use and, and, and how the house breathes, lack of a better mm-hmm. term, you're, you're actually going to be specific to the, to the uh, environment you're in. So in, in the desert yes. of Arizona, it's going to be wildly different than wildly different. the humid climate of, you know, Seattle and in, in Denver yeah. and Nebraska and all over the place. So it's sort of yeah. based on the environment. You have to figure out. Um, so you have to figure that moisture is going to get into your structure one way or another. It's either going to come from the inside or it's going to come from the outside. We guard against we guard against that as much as we can. All builders do. So when we're talking about a, your particular region, you have to understand what does moisture do with a building in my region? Where does it come from? Which way is the wall going to dry? Is it going to dry to the inside or is it going to dry to the outside? Like it's different in, in all different climates. And that was actually part of the problem with the German passive house being applied to the United States housing market 
or, you know, industry, because we have so much, so much difference in their climate from the northern part of the country to the southern. And then if you take in Alaska, holy cow, now we're really different. Yeah. So, so Ophius was born, Passive House Institute of the United States, which, which takes into account all those original um, ideas they they're the underpinning but then they have actual climate data sets for all the different regions that's awesome i feel like one of the biggest challenges i would assume you're facing probably not i feel like the pacific northwest is a little bit more open to ideas like this but i feel like a lot of people don't want to go green or do something like a passive house because of financial concerns um, so maybe you could yeah. speak to how building a passive home is actually financially beneficial for, I mean, for the owner, but also, I mean, you guys have kind of based your business on this, so. Well, right. And um, we very rarely do we end up doing the the calculations of how much money you're going to save based on this um, thickness of wall and that type of um, ductless mini split. Like very rarely do we actually get into the, the minutia of those calculations. Um, we have some general guidelines we go by um, to get there and, we, and we're getting better at energy modeling. That's something that's new to us. But put all that, put all that aside and talk about what does a client value? That's what's really important because if I can prove that people do not actually value um, what you're asking about, what you're asking is, what's my return on investment? And the reason that I say I can prove that people don't value that the way they think they value it is because of a thing that we call a senseless remodel of a perfectly fine house. A person will buy a house it's got walls, floors, countertops, mirrors, all sorts of things that work great. Just leave them in place. Doesn't cost you a penny. But people rip them out all the time. They rip stuff out all the time and they recycle it or they take it to the dump or they do all sorts of crazy things, you know, because they feel like they need to update. They feel like they want it to look different. So the value that they have that they don't speak about is aesthetic value. It, you know, people value aesthetics really highly. And what is the monetary return on aesthetic value? It's pretty small. In fact, you know, a house with three bedrooms is value, a house with three bedrooms with ugly carpet is valued way higher than a house with one bedroom with a beautiful wood floor. You see, the, see what I'm saying? Yeah. It, you know, the people, people think that they value that, that, that what's important to them is I need a return on my investment, but they contradict that constantly through their behavior. So what we focus on is what do you value? And the way that we, that we promote what we value is to talk about it. We value um, energy efficiency. We value durability. We value comfort. And what does that mean to you? Like, what does that mean to you in your house? You know, it, it means a lot of things um, as far as comfort goes. It means it does mean at the end of the month your your electric bill is lower. 
Um, but then beyond that, it means do you value that your home is not an energy suck on the planet? Like, <laughs> I actually, you know, we say stuff like that out loud to our clients. Do, do you value that that you can be part of a larger picture in our industry, in our in in, in our culture in the United States, so that homes homes don't have to be. They don't have to be a negative. They can be a positive when it comes to the future of our our culture and our planet. That's awesome. Are you sold? I know it's really big and I, groovy to say all that stuff, but we actually do say it in a lot of different ways that are very palatable. You got people, you got Tom feeling get groovy. On board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I I think that you know what I was going to say to your, to Tom's question is like, I, I'm sure your market comes to you, right? There's not a lot of convincing on ROI. If you place yourself correctly in the market, there's a big market for exactly what you just said, caring about the environment yeah. and caring about your impact in the environment. It's why, you know, Prius is well sold. It's why Tom has a Tesla. One of the reasons besides it looks cool too. Sure. That's a benefit. It's a benefit. Right. <laughs> but your main reason is, is, is probably impact on the environment or one of the reasons, right? Yeah. So, so I, I think it's great. You have a little uh, niche. Right. Yeah. 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 We keep working on it too. We keep trying to spread the word. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's a good mission to, to drive out there. You talked about building and having a sustainability, of course, is one thing, but reliability of products. Are there some products that you guys have come across where you're like, these are great because they're long lasting or they just have such great benefits to houses. Could you speak to anything about that? Yeah. Um, and part of the reason that we're good at, at choosing those products is because um, through the remodeling history, we, we come across all the things that fail, mm -hmm. um, all the things that really only last three to five years before they start to look old or, um, or they, they actually don't work anymore. So your question was, what products am I excited about or what yeah. products really work? Well, in our climate, um, one, of, one of the things, it's kind of a tried and true. Um, the cement board siding works really great in our particular climate. So that's something we've been using before Passive House came along to, you know, in our, in our field division. I would say that metal roofs are better than asphalt roofs, but a good triple laminate shingle is a great idea. Um, uh, I would say triple pane windows in our climate are awesome. And then the frame of the window is important too. So I'm kind of excited about the fact that you can now get windows that incorporate insulation inside the frame. Um, you can get a lot, the, uh, the windows um, that we can get that are manufactured just across the border in Canada are actually way superior to anything that we've been able to buy that the U.S. manufacturer. Um, in those cases, they have triple panes. They have um, pretty durable materials. Um, you're not going to find a vinyl window in, in their product lines. Vinyl is, um, it's cheap and it's, you know, it helps keep the building costs down. But the reality is, is it moves and it warps and then it, and it kind of looks crappy and after a while and it, it tends to fail. So the vinyl windows get pulled out. <laughs> yeah. And then what do you do with the, with the vinyl the vinyl windows, you know, they go in the landfill. Oh, that's something that I just can't help but mention um, because I'm dealing with 
interior products and exterior products all the time. And vinyl is like the quick, cheap go-to for so many builders. You see it on, you see it in siding, you see it in windows, you see it in um, mater uh, railing materials. You see it now flooring everywhere, vinyl flooring. Well, do you know in the state of Washington, if you take out a piece of vinyl from a building, there is no place to recycle it. It goes to the dump. And vinyl is being sold like crazy on the market, especially in flooring right now. And it's all just going to pile up when people pull it out in five years because that's what they do. <laughs> Hashtag no more vinyl. That's, that's yeah. a good hashtag. Let's start a movement. Let's I know. I'm probably like the Matt, vinyl you should start a probably movement. can't target me now. No, but it's okay. I have, I have no problem with vinyl. you're over-exaggerating our reach. How to recycle it. Please recycle it yeah. if you can. Definitely. Yeah. So as far as, as great building materials, though, natural building materials are super. I love, I love a wood floor, you know. A solid wood floor, you can get six sandings out of a solid wood floor. And if yeah, you true. if you sand it 10 to 20 years apart, that's your lifetime, you know. You can put in a floor when you're 20 or 30 and never have to change it. So, um, you know, some of the natural stones or the, the, um, the, the engineered stones are great because they'll last forever and they're super durable. As far as great building materials... Um, you know, some some of the metal stuff is fantastic because it'll last forever. I would say the life of the materials is really important to consider. How long will it last? Yeah, like the is metal are metal roofs making a comeback? Because I I love I'm in. You count me in on metal roofs because I think they're cool. I mean, they're they're very popular out on the coast also here in the in Midwest. Texas. They're in Texas. They're too, like really dry. Metal's out great for shedding um, snow. So yeah. if you're mm -hmm. in a snowy climate, they're usually more popular than other climates. There, I haven't actually incorporated a metal roof on a, a passive house yet, and there is some considerations there because because of the heat transfer that that you have to consider. So I, I can't actually speak to that super intelligently on the passive side, but I can speak on the durability side. Metal roofs will last for, for a very long time. Generally, when you're looking at a warranty from a manufacturer, let's say, let's say it's a shingle roof and they say, this is a lifetime roof. And you look at the actual warranty and it says lifetime is actually 50 years. 50 years means at the end of 50 years, your roof is totally failing. You have water coming in right. your kitchen. Yeah. It doesn't mean that your roof is great for 50 years. That's a good point. So that's something to remember when you're looking at warranties. For sure. It means that's the life of it. So if something goes wrong with your roof at 25 years, you're only going to get half of that money back. Sure. Because, because, yeah. And a lot of people don't think about warranties that way. That's very true. Nobody reads oh, the fine print. A little plug for our company. <laughs> when, we switched from, when we switched from being a sole proprietor corporation or I'm sorry a partnership corporation to a worker owned cooperative one of the things we wanted to change a lot of things but one of the things was we wanted to increase our warranty so our warranty are for a uh, remodel is 5 years instead of 1 year 
and it starts at the end of your construction, not at the not when you sign the contract. It's when we leave the job site, your five years starts. That's a great selling point, and it makes sense, right? Because you build with more high quality uh, material, so to not have a longer warranty would really just be shooting yourself in the foot, right? Like it makes yeah. sense, and, and then you use it as a selling point, and that's obviously got to be a really big trigger for people who are worried about one of their biggest investments, which is remodeling their home, making sure they don't go with the wrong person or that it goes kaput in a year. Yeah. I said kaput. Yeah, I mean, you did. We, it's a, <laughs> if you think about the warranty in the terms of a small town, you know, if somebody, if something goes wrong with, with a building that you've built and you don't go and take care of it, <laughs> you know, everybody's going to know because you live in a small town. That'll so get around. We, you know, your approach is you're going to take care of it anyway. So why not just have a warranty for it? Why not just, you know, get credit right from the get go for what you're actually going to do, which is you're going to actually go and take care of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. Maggie, uh, we have a whole list of other questions that we could probably keep talking about forever with you on. Um, yeah. We got to wrap this up because we got, we got wives and kids. And yeah. my goodness. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you're I good. No, this has been so great. We've really enjoyed having you on the podcast and maybe we'll have to have you back to continue talking about this. It's been this, great. Uh, anyway, so let's wrap this up really quick. Um, okay. key, key takeaways, Tom. Key takeaways. Look at the new ownership structure of a co-op because there's definitely something to be said about that. Big, big time. Another key takeaway is, you know, passive homes, there's something there for everybody. There is. It doesn't matter where you're at in the United States or the world. You can definitely look at it because it obviously applies to By region. your region. That's cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if <laughs> I think the last point we talked about warranties is great. Like, if you're going to cover it, why not just get the credit up front? Right. If you're going to build quality yeah. stuff and use quality material, extend your warranty, cover it, and you'll get the benefits with referral business, right? Absolutely. And they won't be talking, yeah. they won't be talking bad about you in the local VFW in a small town. <laughs> small town. It's right. So she's right. Bro. See, connected. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Maggie. Thank you so much for giving these great points to talk about today. Uh, you know, we hope you had a great time because we sure did. 100%. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. And we wish you guys continued success in your business. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed it. It was great. Appreciate you. Want to share a suggestion for a future guest? Have a question about Belditrin that you'd like us to discuss? Or a topic that you'd want us to cover on the podcast? Let us know by calling and leaving us a message at 402 402- Five nine six six four three seven. That's four zero two five nine six six four three seven. And who knows? You'll maybe hear yourself on the podcast. Love what you heard? Don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast so you can hear from more guests that will benefit your business. Also, please check out our show notes page for more information on what we discussed on this episode. You can find it at buildertrend.com/podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Building Code. Appreciate you.